Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and serve you and are thankful for all you've done for us, for all you've given us, for the ways in which you've blessed us and provided for us. Father, we thank you for the chance again just to praise your name. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things. Lord, as we open the truth of your word this morning, challenge our hearts. Lord, just kind of move us more and more in the direction you want us to go. Father, convict us in areas that we need to change, strengthen our hearts. Give us a desire, Lord, to love you more and more. And through the power of the Spirit, Father, we pray that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Exciting things again at Rosemont, things are happening this summer with camps. We did Rockridge a couple of weeks ago. Last week we finished uh, Camp Viola and had uh, lots of children there that were impacted with the gospel. Several salvations. Many of you served there through the week. We're so thankful for the people that give their time to minister to the children of area. Just a great week. We had a family night here Thursday night and had the chance to meet a lot of the parents. And the prayer is that those families will be back. And so as you think this week and as you pray this week, be mindful of the families that were touched during Camp Viola and those precious children and their families. And we'll pray that we can just continue to have a lasting impact on those families moving forward. I want to remind you, as Jeremy did earlier in our service, if you've got the Mission LaGrange file, if you'll pull that up, the picture. A Mission LaGrange is coming up July the 16th through the 22nd. We have sign-ups in the breezeway. You guys can be involved in lots of different types of activities. Do we have that slide somewhere, the Mission LaGrange? It's somewhere. Maybe the computer's frozen up on us. It's okay. Mission LaGrange, there it is, July 20, 16th through the 22nd. Lots of things to be involved in. You can sign up in the breezeway. Some new things this year. Some things we've done in the past. So you just be in prayer about how the Lord would use you. And I want to challenge you again today as I did last week. We want you to be involved in something. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to walk around with a church roll and check the sign-ups, but I thought about it. I was like, I wonder how many people have actually signed up. I'm not going to do that, but I want you to sign up. I want you to put your name on a sheet of paper, be involved in something. There's something for you to do. The Lord's calling everybody to do something. You can pray or walk if you can't do anything else. You can go into the areas and pray that the Lord do great work. But sign up, do something, get involved in Mission LaGrange. It's a great week for us to reach out to our community. We're going into our community, doing outreach, doing all sorts of mission projects. And we want you to be involved in that. I've challenged you last week to be involved in Mission LaGrange. And I preached a sermon that would help you think about the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom. I'm challenging you again this morning to be involved in Mission LaGrange. And I'm challenging you with a statement this morning. I want to kind of begin with a statement. You can pull the main slide back up now if you would. I'm going to challenge you with a statement before we jump into John chapter 4 that ought to challenge you. And I hope encourage you to kind of move forward in your walk in what the Lord's called you to do. Here's the statement. We are all called to share our faith with others. We are all called to share our faith with others. Now, part of our walk in Christ... 
part of kind of the day-to-day life as a Christian is sharing our faith, sharing the message of salvation with people that are all around us. And I love this story of the woman at the well. We're going to get there in just a second. We're familiar with this part of Scripture because we know John 3.16, don't we? Many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus in John 3.16. If you don't know, just kind of a quick reminder before we jump into John chapter 4. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem. He was there for the Passover. As he's at the Passover, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, came to him and said, Listen, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus answered him in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? That all came in the context of the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Now when Jesus finishes with Nicodemus, when He finishes in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us He's got to go to Galilee. Now if you know anything about the geography of Israel, Jerusalem is basically south of Galilee. And between those is Samaria. And so Jesus had to walk through Samaria in order to get to Galilee where he was going. Now the problem with walking through Samaria, and we're going to talk more about this in just a few minutes, is that the Jewish people and the Samaritans really kind of hated each other. In fact, for, for centuries and centuries and centuries, there's this animosity. And so a Jewish person would not walk through Samaria. It was very unheard of, very uncommon. And so Jesus is not only going to walk through Samaria, but as he travels through Samaria, he's going to stop at this well. Jesus is thirsty. He's tired. It's hot. He's going to get a drink of water. And he's going to sit down and strike up a conversation with this woman. So you've got this Jewish man in Samaria, which was very uncommon. You You've got now this Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. And a Jewish man speaking to any woman in public was very strange. So you've got this weird situation. You've got this strange, unusual type situation. In that culture, during that time, that was highly unusual. It just didn't happen. And yet, the Messiah has chosen to walk through this area, to stop at this well, to speak to this woman, knowing something pretty incredible is going to happen. Now, we usually focus on the story of Christ, and we're going to. I want to tell his story because what he does is amazing. But what sometimes we miss, and this is really what I want to get at this morning, what we miss is what happened to that woman after the conversation with Christ. Because it didn't just end with the conversation. Jesus did something pretty incredible in that woman's life, and then she kind of took this leap of faith that was strange for her and strange for this context, and the Lord used this woman at the well to do something pretty incredible. And so I want to kind of tell her story. I want to think about her story this morning. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, we pick up the story. Jesus has already walked to the well. He stopped. The woman has kind of come up, and now we start the story in John chapter 4, Verse 7, we have it on the screen as well for you. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's speaking of the well there. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's stop there just for a few minutes. There's so much we could pull. There's so much we could talk about. As I, as I reread through John chapter 4, I thought, you know, we could probably do an entire sermon series just on this conversation, just on this woman, just on this area. But there's several truths I want you to see that will apply to your life this morning. And the first one is something we really forget, I think. It's something we've kind of gotten over and maybe it's not as big of a deal to us as it ought to be. But here's the first truth I want you to see and then we're going to backpedal a little bit and walk through some of these verses. Here's the first truth. We need to remember the incredible gift of salvation. We, we need to be reminded on a regular basis of the incredible gift of salvation. I'll point your attention to two different verses that kind of make this case. John chapter 4 verse 10. Back up to that one if you would please, Wanda. Listen to what Jesus says as he responds to this woman. Jesus answered her, If you knew the, what's the word? Gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus speaks of this gift. Listen, woman at the well, I'm trying to give you this incredible gift. And then down to verse 14, pull that up if you would. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's Jesus offering here? Now some of us that have studied this story and, and know this account, we understand that Jesus kind of makes this normal sort of a, a opportunity, takes these normal opportunities on a regular basis to speak to people that are kind of downcast, that are sinful, that nobody else likes, kind of the low end of society. And oftentimes when he does, he talks to them in these sorts of phrases and he speaks about a gift that he wants to give them. Now, the gift we understand very simply is salvation. Right? It's faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, believe in Christ, and be saved. Right? We, we understand intellectually that gift. We understand that Jesus offers it time and time again in Scripture. We see that he's offering it to this woman. And I, I just started thinking for just a second as I was studying through this again this week. You know, let, let's just pause, and I want to do this right now. Let's just pause for a second, and let's just be reminded of the incredible gift of salvation. Because too many of us have gotten over it. Right, so salvation, just very simply, in Christ means eternal life. Right, We know that. It means real joy and real peace in this life. It means life in abundance, as Christ says. It, it means a foundation upon which we could build our lives. You know, as I looked at those four things, kind of those four truths about salvation, I started thinking, you know what? That's exactly what the world's looking for. Did you know that? Did you know every major religion in our world looks for a place in heaven one day, the hereafter? They're all looking for it. They have various different opinions and various different ideas, and everybody kind of kind of talk about a different path to heaven. We know the truth. There's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. But every religion in the world wants eternal life. That's what Christ offers. 
Every person in the world wants some sort of hope and peace and joy, don't they? I mean, you want hope in your life. You want peace. You want joy. That's what everybody's looking for. Christ offers it as a gift. We want abundant life, don't we? That's what everybody wants. Whether you're a believer or not, you want abundant life, don't you? Christ offers it. Everybody wants some sort of a foundation upon which they can build their lives. I just started thinking all of the things that Christ offers, all of the things that Christ offers, they're all found in salvation. That's exactly what the world is looking for. We've been given, now just stay with me for a second here. We've been given this incredible gift. It's the greatest gift in the history of the universe. We've been given that gift freely. And how many of us have just kind of gotten over it? Like, me, I was saved when I was a kid. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I accepted Christ. Well, how, how is it affecting us now? Like, I kind of think sometimes we're like the kid at Christmas. Or you get the toy, and for the first six weeks, man, you can't take your hands off of it. And you keep playing with it, and it's fun. And then after a while, it just kind of gets old, and you just kind of throw it in the closet and don't think about it. I just wonder if our salvation has kind of become like that does. Like we, at one point, were passionate about it and excited about it and joyful, and it really drove us to do more. And it's just kind of worn out a little bit and gotten old, and we've kind of set it aside, and we still kind of go through the motions. But how many of us are driven by this passion of the gift that Christ has given us? Jesus says, listen, if you knew who was asking you, if you really understood this gift, it would change your life. It would radically change the way you think about everything. And so I started thinking, you know, I I bet too many believers have kind of gotten over their salvation. I bet they've kind of lost the passion and the joy of salvation. So I just started praying about that. Lord, what what, what, what should we do about that, right? If we're kind of in this world where too many believers have gotten over their salvation, they've forgotten the grace, they've forgotten the the beautiful gift that Christ has given them, what, what should we do about that? And as I was praying and studying, the Lord led me to Psalm chapter 51. So hold your spot in John 4 just for a second. I want you to flip back to Psalm 51. I want to show you something. I think this can be helpful for us. I think the Lord can, can use this passage of Scripture to speak to us. I'm, I'm speaking right now for the next few minutes to the person who maybe has lost some of their passion in salvation. To the person that's maybe lost some of their joy. To the person that would never say this, but in a very real sense, their, their salvation has kind of become ho-hum to them. Me. What what do we do with that, right? So I just started praying and and looking and studying Psalm 51. Let me give you just a little bit of history. Just kind of, just on a little side note right here, as we're trying to remember the gift of salvation, the importance, what Christ has given us. A little side note in Psalm 51. David has written this psalm after he sinned against the Lord. He sinned with Bathsheba. He's committed adultery. Many of us know the story. And he's just kind of crying out to the Lord. He's pleading with the Lord to do some great things in his life. Listen to the words of King David, Psalm 51, beginning verse 1. There there are kind of three things in this chapter that will help us if we've lost that fire and that passion of salvation. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. David speaking to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. If you have lost the joy of salvation, if you've lost the passion of salvation, if for whatever reason you've kind of gotten over that gift of God, David says to us, I've got three things I want you to see. Here's the first thing he says to us. First, we must regularly repent of our sins before the Lord. I bet, now this is this between you and the Lord, I'm just guessing here, but I'm I'm making a, a guess based on the truth of Scripture. I bet if you've lost the joy of salvation, if you've kind of gotten over it, I bet you stopped at some point in the past repenting regularly of your sins before the Lord. I bet you've done that. Now, for some of you, this may be new. You thought, well, I mean, I did that when I was saved. Am I supposed to do that now? Yeah, we should continue to repent of our sins. It's an ongoing process. We're already saved. It doesn't affect our salvation, but it affects our closeness to the Lord and how the Lord uses us in this life. And if you've kind of lost that joy, I bet, and I'm, I'm, this is between you and Lord, I bet there's unrepentant sin in your life. I bet for whatever reason, on some level, somewhere, you've stepped away from the Lord, you've walked away from His will, you've sinned, you failed to repent of that, and I bet that's hindering your walk. Like David realizes it. Have mercy on me, God. Look at verse 2. Pull verse 2 up again, please. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This is a man that God used, had already used. A man that God said, is after my own heart, the greatest king in Israel. Yet David sinned. He recognized his sin. He repented of his sin again and again. How often are we praying for the repentance of sin in our life? I bet we've been separated from the Lord. We've lost the joy of salvation. There's unrepentant sin we need to deal with. That's the first thing. Now, next few verses of Psalm 51. Look at verse 6. Behold, this is David still speaking to the Lord, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Here, here's the second thing we ought to do. If we've lost the joy of salvation, we ought to be repenting of our sins more, recognizing our failures, drawing near the Lord. But the second thing, we need to grow in our understanding of God's Word. You should constantly be growing in your understanding of God's Word. David speaks in verse 6 here of the delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Right there, There's this sense here that I should understand the truth of the Lord within my inward being. Lord, you will teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Wisdom and understanding of the Lord only comes through studying His Scripture. Did you know that? That's where it comes from. So if you've kind of lost that joy of salvation, if you're not passionate anymore about your walk, if it's kind of ho-hum to you, the repentance of sin, of unrepentant sin in your life first, second, grow constantly in your understanding of God's Word. You know, I have this, this bad habit, and I've told Amy this sometimes too, and it's, it's, a, it's really a struggle for me. I have, a, I have a hard time now listening to sermons without critiquing them. It's hard for me. I listen to one now, and instead of allowing the, the, that, that man of God to speak truth into my life, I'm thinking, Man, he should have used a different illustration, or, you know, the hermeneutics are off. It's just weird, sort of strange preacher stuff, I guess. But it kind of goes through my mind. And I have to repent of that sometimes, right? I don't want to listen to sermons and critique them. I want them to change my heart. Sometimes we do that with Scripture. We've read it so many times, it fails to change our heart. Oh, I, we did John 3.16 a minute ago. Oh, I know John 3.16. But how, when's the last time John 3.16 just gripped your heart with the truth of the salvation of Christ? The gift that he's given you. 
We, we, we can't get over this gift. And we need to be spending time in God's Word trying to understand what God has called us to do and who He's called us to be. And it needs to lead us to this place of passion again where our salvation in Christ drives us to do crazy things in the eyes of the world. So David says, listen, I've got to repent of my sins. I've got to deepen my walk and understanding of Scripture. And then move down to verse 12 of Psalm 51 very quickly. I love what he says here because it speaks to our hearts right now. Look at what David prays in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David says, finally, we need to rejoice in our salvation. When's the last time we just woke up and thought, thank you, Lord, for saving me? Praise your name that I don't have to live like the pagans. Praise your name that grace is abundant in my life and is ever present and I see it and I recognize it. Thank you for saving me from all this junk in the world that so many people have to wade through. Praise your name for my salvation, Lord. We've missed that. We've gotten over that. And Christ wants us to see in John chapter 4, the, the woman at the well wants us to see very simply, this is the gift of God. Understand it and use it. Now let's continue. Go back to John 4. Let's jump back into John chapter 4. Into verse 16. We're, we're reminded of the great gift of salvation. And then Jesus says to her, right? So she says to Jesus, okay, so I, I want this. Living water sounds good. Give me some of this living water so I don't ever get thirsty again. Now look what Jesus does, right? He's going to just kind of dive right in. Jesus has this incredible tendency of just kind of getting right to the point. Look at what he says in verse 16. This is John chapter 4 now. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Now, between 16 and 17, we don't know how long a pause there was, but I guarantee you there was a pause. Jesus says, Well, just go get your husband. Let's talk about it. And she goes, Well, Jesus, um, I don't really have a husband. And then Jesus says to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now they get into this whole dialogue in verses 19 through 26 about finally worshiping in the mountain in Jerusalem. And then verse 27, we're going to skip over to 27. Just just then, (laughs) his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, why do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, which is significant. She leaves her jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to see him. Here's, here's the second truth. I want you to, this is important. I want you to get this, right? We need to be reminded of our salvation, reminded of our calling. But number two, God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes. Did you know that? God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes. Let's, let's think about this woman at the well just for a few minutes, okay? Because I want to kind of gain some clues from the scripture that will help us understand this a little bit better. Now, this idea of going to a well for water is foreign to us. We just don't get it. We just, I mean, that's completely, we don't understand the concept or the cultural norms or what should or should not have happened. We don't, we don't get it because we don't do it. So let me clue you in just for a few seconds because this is important. The fact that this woman came alone was very strange. 
Most of the time, the women of the village would come as a group and would gather water together. The fact she came in the middle of the afternoon instead of early morning or late evening when it was a lot cooler was very strange. So you've got this woman who's by herself. She's not coming at the normal times. Jesus calls her out on on having five husbands and living with a man now that's not her husband. This is a woman, very simply, that was an outcast that was looked down upon. Like the, the woman at the well was an outcast. Nobody wanted to be around her. Nobody wanted to see her. She came alone. And yet Jesus, in his infinite sovereignty and his wisdom, chose her to do something pretty amazing. That's very challenging to me. Like if I had written the scripture, and obviously I didn't, right? but if God had asked me what I thought or what plan I would come up with for Jesus, like, hey Adam, what do you think Jesus ought to do to reach the world in the first century? What, what would be your plan, Adam, for Jesus reaching the world? The last thing I would have said was to go find this woman at the well. I would have said, I don't know, go to, go to Rome and, and meet with the, the, you know, Caesar or some of these leaders and the governors and the powerful people or go to some of these big places. He didn't do any of those things. God in his wisdom for whatever woman chose, not only the woman of the world, but an outcast. Nobody liked her. Nobody wanted to be around her. Nobody cared about her. And Jesus intentionally, the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 3, he intentionally went through this area because he knew she was going to be there. He knew he was going to have a conversation with her. And he knew he had a plan for her. And we buy this lie too often that God's not going to use us. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to respond. We don't know what plan God's got for us. You know, God can use you right where you are. Did you know that? The, the old phrase is bloom where you're planted. And Jesus wants to use you in your situation to do some pretty incredible things. You know, Jesus has kind of made this habit oftentimes of hanging out with the bad people. You think about Christ and, and, and who he was around and, and who he talked to. It'd be like us going into the kind of the worst places, right? Where the prostitutes hang out or where people are the drug houses or you kind of name it where all the bad people are and all the bad, the places that most of us stay away from, right? Those are the places Jesus just walked right into. He just walked right in the middle of them. He just started talking with these people that were outcasts and nobody cared about why because he understood, you know, I can accomplish great things through these people. I can do incredible things through their lives. I can use people like David, King David, who was a liar, an adulterer, a murderer, and yet the Lord said, this is a man after my own heart. Greatest king in the history of Israel. God says, I can use a man like Moses, who you may not remember this about Moses, because kind of the end of his life was more kind of the glory years. Moses killed a man in Egypt. Do you remember that? Killed him. And then he was so afraid, he didn't want to stand up for what he did. He fled, ran into the desert, and hid out for 40 years. God pulled him out of obscurity and said, you, Moses, I'm going to use you. You murderer. You, the guy who's been hiding, who's afraid to face his responsibilities. I'm going to use you to rescue my people. And oh, by the way, I'm going to hand you the Ten Commandments later in your life. That's Moses. Paul, I want to use you, the guy who's been persecuting Christians and and made it kind of his life's goal to try to get rid of Christianity, right? I'm going to stop on the way to Damascus, Paul. I'm going to stop you, blind you for three days, lead you to faith in Christ, and then use you to write the vast majority of the New Testament. That's the guy I want to use right there, the guy that hates believers. That's who I'm going to use. And we kind of found ourselves sometimes in this place of thinking, you know, that God can only use these people that are at the top of the list. That's not who God uses, Really, ever. 
You know, I was reminded of the story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals the man who's blind. You may remember the story. And I love what Jesus does. You may not remember this about this story, but Jesus reaches down and he, and he scoops up some dirt. You remember the story? And he spits in it. And he kind of makes this muddy, gross paste and he rubs it in this guy's eyes. You know, the two things you don't want in your eye are mud and spit. Did you know that? You don't want those in your eyes. When dirt or spit gets in your eyes, you're getting it out of there, right? God, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take the, the gross stuff, the, the lowest of the low, the dirtiest stuff, and I'm going to use it for my glory. The disciples were nobodies. Nobodies. They didn't have any sort of ability or training. They were sinners. Some of them were outcasts. They were loners. And yet Christ says, I'm going to use you guys. Me? Yeah, you. You're, you're my plan, disciples. You know this about Christ. That was plan A. There was no plan B. Did you know that? Because Jesus knew, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die on this earth and ascend into heaven after I raise from the dead. You 12 have got to carry the torch. I mean, everything we know about Christianity came from those 12 disciples. Started with Jesus to those 12. If those 12 had failed, those nobodies, those guys that nobody cared about, those outcasts, those loners, if those guys had not taken that up and moved forward, we wouldn't have Christianity today. God has this history of using unusable things to do great work. What does He want to do with you? How is He going to use you? How are people in, in 10, 20, 30 years going to look back at your life and say, man, God used that man or that woman or that student or that child to do great things for his kingdom? One commentator explained it like this. He said, so this woman who a little while ago had been a sin-stained, characterless woman has now become an earnest evangelist. It's just what the Lord Jesus has been doing all down through the centuries. Revealing His grace to the needy soul. And it's what, if you do not know His saving power, He's waiting to do for you. Right, Jesus said, I'm going to come and talk to this woman. I'm going to share my faith with her. I'm going to call her to repentance. Then I'm going to use her in this town to reach these people, right? Because she's going to run into town. She's going to start telling the story. And what are the people of the town going to do? They're going to come to faith in Christ because of the testimony of this woman. A woman they didn't want to even go to the well with a few hours ago. After Christ touches her and uses her, she saves her city for the glory of God. Now, here's what some of you are doing. I, don't, I, I get that, right? God wants to use me. Yes, but Adam, I don't know what to say. I, I've had so many conversations with people like this. I'm afraid people are going to ask me questions I don't know how to answer. I, mean, I get that pretty regularly. In fact, we had somebody call us just this last week. Would you talk to somebody? Because I'm afraid that I'm not going to know the answers. From that. Sure, we'll be happy to talk to them. But we, we get too complicated sometimes because I want you to look what happens in verse 39. I want you to listen to how this woman shares the gospel, right? John 4, 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Listen to what she said. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said or what you believe. For we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here's the third truth. 
Tell others your story of Christ's faithfulness in your life. Now, I know there's a lot of debate about how to share the gospel and what verses we ought to use. And I I know there's a debate swirling. Sometimes people get upset about that. But but I think sometimes we we get kind of too complicated. I think sometimes it's too difficult for us. All this woman does is share her story. Pull verse 39 up again. This is the salvation message from this woman, right? Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which was, quote, he told me all that I ever did. Now, how many of us, I'm not not going to ask you to raise your hand, how many of us sometimes are ashamed of what we've done? Right? There's a past. We've all been there. There's a past, and oftentimes we're afraid that if somebody finds out our past, they're not going to listen to us. Man, if they knew this about me or they knew what I've gone through, they're not, I can't share my faith because they knew me in high school. And man, I used to do this with them in high school. And I don't think I can share my story because of the things I've been through. Listen to this woman. This woman uses her past for the glory of God, right? He told me all that I ever did, right? So in other words, hey, people, he named out my sins, He he called me out on my sins. He used my past and the yuckiness of where I've been for His glory to bring me to faith in Him. He he used the the sin of my past for His glory. We, We need to be telling our story. You need to find opportunities in your world to bloom right where you are planted to share your story about the saving work of Christ in your life every chance that you get. Every chance that you get. But here's how the devil works against that. Here's what he's done in my life in the past. We say something like this. You know, my testimony is pretty boring, Adam. I'm a Christian, right? And so if I'm just speaking personally about myself, Adam, my testimony is pretty boring, right? Because I grew up in a church. My dad was a minister. When I was a young boy, I went to revival. I got saved, right? Kind of the standard Southern Baptist seems kind of boring, right? I I go to India, and I talk to these people about salvation. This guy's like, yeah, I was... Uh, healed of tuberculosis, and I got saved. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I met a guy last time, no joke. He was a bomb maker. B-O-M-B. I said, like in the, like the military? Oh, no, 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 no. I was like black market. I made bombs and sold them to people, blow people up. Really? We had a neat conversation at lunch. I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a cool testimony. This guy made pipe bombs the Lord brought him to saving faith in Christ. Man, that's cool. We want to hear those kind of testimonies. And I'm like, well, yeah, I was a preacher's kid. And, you know, God saved me when I was dying. <laughs> Not very exciting. And, until one day the Lord reminded me, man, any person I save from eternal hell is a miracle. Period. We, we put all these qualifiers on it. We think one's better. It doesn't matter to Christ. He saved us. We're all the woman at the well to him because we've sinned and separated ourselves from the Lord. It's not true that our stories don't matter. It's not true that we can't make a difference. We can. God can use your story right where you are to impact somebody's life right now. He's got a plan for your life. I'm, I'm reading a book called A Bolt from the Blue. Bolt, B-O-L-T, A Bolt from the Blue. It's an interesting book. We went to Wyoming back early part of the summer. I think I've told you a little bit about that. And while I was there, I've, I've never done any technical rock climbing where you like climb up the face of the rock. But in the Grand Tetons, there's a lot of rock climbing to be had. In fact, it's a, kind of the mecca of rock climbing in North America, apparently. So I was talking to one of the guides out there about rock climbing. He says, you need to read this book, Bolt from the Blue. It's about these climbers. In, in, 2000, in July, summer of 2003, I think, a group of 11 climbers decided they wanted to descend to the top of the Grand Teton, which is the tallest mountain in the range. 
They got within just a few hundred feet of the summit. Right, In order to do this, you have to start well before dawn. It's a long process, an elevation change of several thousand feet. A lot of technical climbing, which means you've got the anchors and the ropes and you're on a sheer face. And they get within just a few hundred feet of the summit. And in that part of the country, on a summer afternoon, at that elevation, the weather changes rapidly. And that's one of the dangers of rock climbing. So they get within a few hundred feet of the summit. They're at 13,000 plus feet. Uh, Clouds begin to roll in. It begins to rain, which makes the rock face just crazy slippery as you can imagine and all of a sudden the electrical air charges up below them a bolt of lightning strikes six of the climbers of the 11 six of the 11 are struck by lightning one is killed instantly one is critically injured four are left very injured one literally dang, dangling from a rope several hundred feet down and the book is about the rescue the Jenny Lake Rangers, that's what these guys are called because Jenny Lake is the lake below the Teton. It's made up of this rugged group of mountain guys that have been climbing all their life. And they're the best of the best apparently in the world. I didn't know this about them. But they, they kind of put together this plan of how they're going to rescue these people. And you guys that are afraid of heights will like this. One of the things they do, they call it short hauling. They'll take a 100-foot rope, uh, attach it to the bottom of a helicopter, strap themselves onto the other end of the rope. The helicopter takes off and you're dangling 100 feet below the helicopter as they take you to the top of the mountain. Pretty, pretty cool, right? So they can drop these rangers in. The, the whole story is about this, this incredible rescue. One of, one of the writers, as I was kind of reading about this count, said this is one of the most dangerous mountain rescues in history because it's numerous people, very bad injuries, uh, thousands of feet up, the weather was terrible. Yeah, there's these group of guys who are like, I'm ready. I'm ready. In fact, the story goes something like this. The rangers that were kind of on duty kind of started saddling up as soon as they got the call. The guys that were off duty miles and miles away kind of made a dash back to the headquarters because even though I'm not on duty today, I want to be part of this rescue. I want to go to the top of this mountain in the middle of a thunderstorm hanging 100 feet off a helicopter and help these people get back down alive. You're like, why would people do this? I mean, these guys are risking their lives. This is not just a hike in the park on a sunny afternoon. They are risking their lives for their people hanging at the top of this mountain. One of the rangers explained it like this, very simply. He kind of summed it up. He said, in the end, there's no climbing job more redeeming than one that saves lives. These guys said, listen, I'll be willing to risk everything because there are people that need to be rescued. Folks, there are people right outside our doors that need to be rescued from hell. Did you know that? And there's no coming back from that. Christ says, I've, I've given you this gift. It's free. It's powerful. It's the greatest story ever told. I've given you this story of salvation. I can use you, no matter who you are and where you live, to do incredible things. I've given you this plan and this goal, and I've given you this desire. Use it. Rescue the people around you for the glory of God. And so I want to end with a challenge this morning. I want to do something a little bit different. You know, sometimes we hear numbers like unreached people groups and millions of people and thousands of people in our community. And those, those numbers can sometimes be overwhelming. Let's kind of set all that aside. That's all true. Let's set all that aside for one moment. And let's think of one person right now. Just in the quietness of your spirit, you just kind of pray very, very quickly to the Lord. Lord, give me one person, one person that needs to be rescued, one person that needs to hear my story, one person that is in my world somewhere very close to me. Who is that person, Lord? I want you to pray about that person this week. I want you to think about this person this week. 
I'm going to challenge you next Sunday to do something. Okay, so we better have people here. I'm not, I'm not coming back if he's going to challenge me to go witness to that person. I want you to pray about that person. Prepare your hearts because we're going to challenge you next week to do something very, very important with that one person. Whoever it is, pick that person. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart about how he would have you proceed in the next couple of weeks. Okay, let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the woman at the well. Unloved, unlovable, sinful, rejected, downcast, isolated, and yet for whatever reason, you chose her. You chose her, Father. You used her past for your glory. You reminded her of the gift of salvation. You allowed her, her to bloom right where she was planted, Father. And you used her testimony to draw people to yourself, Father. May we use that model in our lives. May we be challenged in our walk to be rescuers, Father. To realize all those around us that are in dire need of salvation. Father, to find again the joy of salvation. To lead us to passion. To lead us to action. To begin to do something, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. Give us the strength and the courage to be the men and women of God you've called us to be for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to open the altar. You can pray for that one person where you are or down at the altar, or you can respond. This is your time. As we sing together, you come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.